0: Hello Aggie fans and thanks for joining. You're listening to the Sports Desk Podcast, the official podcast of the Utah Statesman. I'm your host Parker Ballantyne and thank you again for tuning in today. I really appreciate it. Um, and it's going to be a really fun show today. Uh, we have the opportunity to hear from some really smart people who really know what they're talking about today. So, um, welcome to the show, and let's let's talk about what we have for you today. Obviously, the big thing that we've been talking about all week long since last Saturday is the fact that Utah State went down to LA and beat San Diego State in a blowout win to win the championship, um, and. It's just been a blast, and so uh, I told you we were going to have a bonus episode, here it is, so thank you for tuning in to this bonus episode. What we have for you today is a series of phone calls, Um, so we'll start it off with Jacob Nielsen. Uh, You've heard from Jacob a lot on the podcast, he's coming on um, pretty often on Thursdays, and he does a great job, you know him, you love him, so we're going to have a conversation with Jacob Nielsen that I had, Uh, there was a phone call, so we, we have that recording and we were just talking about Utah State football. And then after that, we actually have another phone call with Cameron McCurdy, another recurring guest on the show. He's had his own show here at Utah State. He had a show called The Curd with Cameron McCurdy that was on Aggie Radio. Uh, he did a great job there. And every time he comes back, we we have a great time talking football. Cameron and I are, are good friends. And whenever we talk, it it's hard to keep it short for you guys to make a reasonable length recording. He and I could talk for hours and hours and hours about Utah State football. So it was great to have him come back on again. He's He's been really willing to come on the show and he's been really fun to talk to. And then the third segment or the third guest, the third phone call will be with um, Mark Greenwood. He's a writer here at the Statesman. He's one of my co-workers. He does really, really good work at the Statesman. He's a really good writer. Um, he's really in tune with Utah State athletics and uh, the different athletes and sports that are relevant here. He was at the championship game in LA, so he has some really great insight on what it was like to be in LA uh, for that game. So it was a really fun conversation to talk to him. He hasn't been on the show before, but um, I really think you're going to enjoy listening to him because he was awesome. It was a great conversation. Uh, with Mark Greenwood, a uh, writer here in the Statesman. And it was it was a great time. Hopefully you guys will enjoy it as much as I did because I had a really fun time talking to those guys. And I think they all had a lot of good things to say and they had a lot of different things to say too. It wasn't just the same conversation three times. Uh, they definitely all have their own unique perspective that they were able to bring to the show. So without any more delay, let's jump right into the conversation that I was able to have with Jacob Nielsen. Again, thanks, uh, big shout out to Jacob Nielsen for coming on the show. Here's my conversation with him.
1: All right, so joining me now is the one and only Jacob Nielsen, of course, the editor and my boss here at the uh, the States and Sports Desk. Jacob, how's it going, man? Great. How you you Good, good. I'm doing doing great. I want to talk to you, Jacob, today about Utah State football because we are the champions of the Mountain West, and it feels pretty good. We haven't had a chance to talk, at least not on air. Of course, we've talked since that championship game, um, and whenever we talk, that's basically a majority of – our conversations that we have. So what were your thoughts of that game going in and just beating the brakes off of San Diego state? I know you didn't really see that coming. Uh, The prediction you have on record was that we were going to lose. But did you see anything like that coming? Like what was going on in your head watching that game?
2: Yeah. I mean, obviously going in, I predicted San Diego state to win. I thought that they were just the more complete team on both sides of the ball. And the run game was, just so established that I thought our defense was going to have a hard time. But my mindset of what was going to happen changed pretty quick once the game actually started. And that's because I saw what the Yankee defense was doing. And first, the schemes, the way that they were they were pass rushing and defending the run, Brookshire did not look comfortable in the backfield. And he really burned Boise State with his legs. And then on Saturday, just they were completely containing him, and they were also containing the run game. And so it really limited what he was able to do. And so after those first couple of drives, I realized like, hey, the Utah State defense might, is is better than the San Diego State offense today, and they're uh, they're not going to give up very many points. So initially, I realized like, okay, like this is looking good for the Aggies. It's like the offense, the offense is going to come. They always get it going in the second half. Obviously, they're playing a great defense in San Diego State, but the points were going to come. Now did I think forty six points were going to come? No, that was remarkable. It, that was, yeah, incredible. But I think just overall the intensity that you saw from the team, specifically from the defense, was just they somehow brought it to a whole extra level than what they have been doing already this season. So, yeah, really impressive win from the Aggies. Didn't think they'd win that emphatically, but once the game started and they just showed how well they were playing, I'm not surprised that uh, the result ended up the way that it did.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. I went in opposite of you predicting Utah State win. Um, Of course, that's kind of part of my whole brand is being the resident optimist here at the Statesman um, for better or for worse. I've been burned before, but I went in assuming we would win, but I never would have guessed a 46 to 13 win. Um, And that's nothing against our boys. That's just I I didn't think it was possible to score 46 on the San Diego State team. No one had done it all year. Um, after that first quarter where it was looking like a defensive battle, I was a little bit worried that if it turned into a defensive battle, their defense would be able to sustain that a little bit more. But as soon as our offense got rolling, it was – it got pretty ugly pretty fast for the Aztecs, and we just buried them. There was really never a point second quarter and beyond that it was even close. So I felt really good really towards the end of the game. Like middle and end of the game, it, it was all Aggies all the way start to finish, and it was, a, it was a pretty sweet feeling to beat the Aztecs in another championship game as has become the habit for Utah State. One thing I wanted to talk about as well is some of the specific things that we were able to do um, to just dismantle the, the brand and the pride of the Aztecs. We've talked a lot about dropping 46 on the Tex, which is hard to do. Talk a little bit about us embarrassing their punt god because that was not supposed to happen. I don't know that he's had very many blocked punts all year, but for us to go out and block two of them, what were your thoughts when that was happening? Because personally, I was freaking out. I was having a good time when all that was happening.
2: Oh, yeah. For for Matt Ariza to fall off his pedestal, just the punt guy. There's never been a punter in college football history that's been as idolized and as promoted as he did. And he hadn't had a single punt block all year and then two different plays, right? And the first one, um, uh, an Aggie special teams guy, his name slipped my mind, but uh, another Arkansas State transfer he got his hand on the punt, and it, it still went like 30 yards, which was kind of crazy. But then the second one yeah. was the ultimate humiliation, the ultimate downfall, the death of, of Punt God. And it's when he bounces it off the helmet of his own player, and that was the credit yeah. Utah State. Like they they still forced that because they they got in there really quick and they pushed the the blockers back, so he didn't have quite the same arc to kick it as he normally would have. But it was. That that just was like the cherry on top, right? Like not only did Utah State pummel Utah pummel the Aztecs on offense and defense, but their idolized punter that Brady Hoke said before the game was the best player on the team. They, they pantsed him, right? They just
1: they made him look just yeah,
2: they made yeah. him a human. It made him look like just another bro. So
1: that that was uh, that yeah. was fantastic to see. That was so fun, and not only like making their punt god human, but we made him look like a boy. You know, we made him look like a, like a boy trying to punt against men out there. And that second punt block that you talked about, like, I don't think – I don't even think it re- was recorded technically as a blocked punt. Um, Blake Anderson on Twitter has been pretty adamant that it was a blocked punt. Uh, he's been having a great time, by the way. He's he's such a great coach. He's, you know, been having a great time with his guys. But um, I it counts to me as a blocked punt. And that play was just so impressive to watch. Two guys, two of our guys go against three of theirs and just move them back. We were just asserting our dominance over them and just basically move them at will like they were ragdolls and just push their own guy into the punt of Matt Araiza and just like the ultimate humiliation. Like we're not even going to block the punt ourselves. We're going to shove your blocker into it, block it off of his back, and then we're going to go try to jump on it for a touchdown. Of course, it uh, slips out of the back of the end zone for a safety. Um, had that been a touchdown, I think the city of San Diego would have imploded. But that was just such a such a dominating performance for Utah State to just be able to go in and take everything that, that San Diego State holds dear, takes their pride and joy, and just embarrass them on a national stage. So, uh, boy, did that feel good. I want to ask you a little bit about moving forward, uh, looking forward in the bowl game. Was there anything else about that championship game that you wanted to talk about? Of course, you and I could sit here and talk about that championship game for hours. Um, and have a good time doing it. But is there anything else you wanted to draw attention to um, from coaching or playing or anything in that championship game, or do you want to talk uh, bowl game for just a minute?
2: Just I want to bring up really quickly, before the 2020 season, when I was getting rolling with doing the journalism stuff, I talked to a lot of the players, talked to Kevin Metzenheimer, talked to Devin Tompkins, guys that, I guess DT was a junior last year, but Kevin and Shaq Bond, these guys are seniors last year, right? And that was their mindset going into the COVID year, that they were going to win the Mountain West Championship. No one believed them. They didn't have the depth, the talent, obviously, awful coaching staff, and it blew up in their faces for a trillion reasons. But for those guys that they believed adamantly they could win a Mountain Championship, for them to get that extra year of eligibility and then accomplish it, accomplish their goal, that was pretty special. I was really, really happy for those players, the the seniors and the super seniors on the roster that were able to have that opportunity to uh, achieve their goal.
1: No, absolutely. I could – I could join you in singing praises of of that group of guys um, all day long, but I think I'll just leave it at that for now um, with, with what you're saying there. Um, But let's, let's go ahead and look forward. We do have Oregon state in the LA bowl. Talk a little bit about what you think that means to the program and to the team, because I'm stoked for that bowl game. I think it's a huge milestone for the program. and I want to hear your input on that as well.
2: Yeah. I'm stoked that Oregon state is the matchup. They're not, the sexiest power five team, but they're a really good power five team. They're not Washington state. That was right. an opportunity. That was a chance was there could have been a rematch, which would sort the of sucked, but the Beavers, I mean, they going into the last weekend in the season. They still have a chance to win the North, right? And they beat, they beat Utah Utah state's going to play all three teams this season that, that Utah lost to. And right now they're one-on-one in those games. And it's exciting. Obviously Gary Anderson coach there. So it's the, it's the no buyout recovery bowl. That's what a Beaver fan said on Twitter.
3: Yeah, Calvin, Tyler
2: <laughs> Calvin Tyler Jr., our starting running back, obviously, as a transfer from Oregon State. So a little bit of a grudge match for him. And so a lot of interesting storylines. But I think the biggest takeaway is how big of a deal it is that the IUs are playing a Power 5 opponent in a bowl. Because the way that the contract's set up and everything, it's pretty much virtually impossible for Utah State to play in a Power 5 play a power five team if they don't win the mountainous championship and in the whack days in the the big west days they there was no chance of playing a power five opponent right the only time they ever have played a power five opponent in a postseason game was baylor in 1961 in the gotham bowl here's the thing about the gotham bowl it wasn't a sanctioned bowl game by the ncaa it was kind of like like they were don't get me wrong the IU's were great that year but it wasn't an official bowl game so if you look through the ncaa records that didn't even, even count. So, according to Utah right. State, it's the second bowl game against a Power Five team. In its history. according to the NCAA, it's the first. So, the year of our lower 2021, first time Utah State's ever playing a Power Five team in the postseason. That's a pretty that's a pretty significant thing. So, I yeah, that's just that's yeah. the biggest thing. They've had big bowl games, the point Bowl against a ranked Northern Illinois team, but playing a Pac-12 school in LA, um, uh, it doesn't get much better than that if you're uh, if you're the Aggies.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you touched on that because we could talk about that Oregon State matchup. We could talk about the the storylines there with Calvin Tyler Jr. We could talk about Gary Anderson. Uh, you know me, I'm a big Gary Anderson fan. I could talk about Gary Anderson for hours. But I think just taking a step back and looking at the bigger picture of what this program has been able to accomplish and what they have the opportunity to accomplish um, is huge. And and you know just the bare bones of the situation is Utah State will be playing as you know representing the Mountain West champ. We'll be playing, representing the Mountain West as the champions in an L.A. Bowl against a Power Five team, uh, and like you said, that's something that kind of has never happened before. Kind of has happened once before. Either way, it's not something that happens often. And even just from a Group of Five Mountain West perspective, um, it's it's not it's not easy for us little guys to go up and uh, get those go, get those big guys in the postseason. Um, you really have to do something special year in year out to have the opportunity to go play a Pac twelve team in the postseason. So for Utah State to be able to do that and have you know, this will be their second Pac twelve team in the on, on the year, um, to have that opportunity is just is just huge. And we can get into the the matchups and all that later on, but just the bare bones of it, I think what it means for the program is, is huge. And I think it means that we're of course on the right trajectory. I think we're on a very steep upward climb. Especially from last year, going one and five to winning a Mountain West championship and facing off against the Pac-12 Beaver's team next week in the bowl game.
2: Yeah, now the Aggies—they've gone from here's a little geography metaphor for you: Wellsville Mountains, west of Cache Valley, it's the mountain range in North America, and they—they they went from from Menden last year, just like some like crappy farm in Menden, to the peak of Box Elder Peak in in a year, in 12 months, just like that, boom. So. Tremendous, tremendous yeah. accomplishment. And uh yeah, we're thrilled to uh to see what they can do down in California.
1: Yeah, uh we were we were pretty low last year and again I've i beat the same drum all year. I don't mean that in a negative way, um, to you know, to harp on that last year, but it just like you said, the climb that we've gone from last year to this year, um, right up those Wellsville Mountains is is a great analogy and I, I I'm right there with you. I couldn't be more proud of this team. Um Jacob, I'll let you get going. I really appreciate you uh making the time to Talk to me. Hope to be able to sit down with you this week and talk about that bowl game um, against Oregon State. Um, Do you have anything else for me?
2: I think that's it. Peace sharp,
1: Appreciate you, dude. All right, man. Hey, I appreciate it. Go Aggies, and uh, we'll talk soon.
0: That was my conversation with Jacob Nielsen. Uh, It was a lot of fun. Coming up next is my conversation with Cameron McCurdy. One thing Jacob and I talked about a lot was kind of that rise from last year to this year, the 1-5 season to uh, this season that we just won uh, the championship in and uh, Jacob compared it to climbing up those Wellsville mountains, uh, which is a great analogy. Cameron and I kind of touch on that as well. Looking uh, at last year, comparing it to this year um, just to, just to really show, how far we've come this year. And of course, we also talk about the uh, the actual championship game, of course, beating San Diego State 46-13 to and how that kind of happened. Uh, so I, I got some of Cameron's insights on that as well. And we did a little bit more uh, speculating on, on the future for some of these guys and some of these players. So here is Cameron McCurdy and my conversation with him.
1: All right, now on the phone, I have good friend Cameron McCurdy rejoining the show. He's been on a couple of times. You know him, you love him um he is back for another phone call to talk utah state championship football cameron how are you doing man doing good how are you hey i'm doing all right thanks for making the time to uh talk to me today yeah no i always love coming on and being able
4: to talk some utah state sports with you
1: yeah it's always a good time so we we love having you on it's always a good time for me as well so um thanks for uh thanks for coming on um let's talk championship football because it's uh it's it's not very often when your uh, your team wins a Mountain West championship. Um, those are hard to come by, and we're the we're the reigning champs for the next twelve months. So, how does that feel? And uh, we'll talk about that for a little bit.
4: It feels fantastic. I am so happy for Utah State, especially coming back from a season where there were some head coaching issues. Everything just kind of was went haywire, especially after trying to go on the first season after coming back from the pandemic. Um, to be able to have um, the opportunity to win a a conference championship and then to actually do it are two different things. And I don't think anyone believed that we could even make it, you know, to the, um, to the conference playoffs, essentially, that we wouldn't be able to even compete for a a conference championship. And and here we are just absolutely dominating the entire conference almost all year. Um, I, I, don't understand why people thought that we would be as bad as they thought we would, because anytime, especially in football, anytime there's a coaching change, there's always going to be more wins than the previous year, like by a big margin, in my opinion. Um, coaching, yeah. uh, especially in college sports, brings such an excitement. And, and we're seeing that with Utah State. You know, even though we had a great run with Craig Smith, when Ryan Odom came in, we were having, we're having a ball still and I believe, oh, exactly. you know, that a coaching change anytime in college sports just brings so much fire to an organization, but I don't know why they thought that three wins was going to be our max um, this year. It just was mind-boggling to me, but I'm glad we proved them wrong.
1: Yeah, no, mind-boggling is a kind way to put it. I was, you know, I, I thought it was insulting. I was pretty vocal about it all season long, Um that was a little bit ridiculous, mm-hmm. um, a little bit uh, small-minded of, of people to set that bar so low for Utah State. Hopefully somebody out there uh, was able to profit off of that. Um, just, a, just a side note as a clarification, I I did not and could not place money on that. I have to make sure I clear that up so I don't I, – I keep myself out of trouble. But, but man, that was a really <laughs> low line, three-and-a-half wins. Um, I, I can't help but wonder if they just forgot that it was going to be a full season again. You know, like three-and-a-half is so right. low and just looking at the schedule, there were some weak teams on there, and there was some good teams too. And, and like you said, um, you know, last year was tough and, and there, there was a distinction that you made a couple of distinctions that you made that I want to comment on, because I think it's a good point And people don't think about those all the time. So one thing is you talked about last year, we've talked about last year a lot because it was uh, one of the lower points in Utah state football history. Um, all things considered, I, uh, have been on record saying that it's probably the lowest point of of modern history in Utah State football um, with everything going on on mm-hmm. and off the field and you know when you bring up last year you brought up you know there were coaching issues there was uh, you know a pandemic that was going on and I think too often uh, fans or outside analysts will um, kind of forget about some of the context there and they'll um, chalk it up to the roster issues that we were having. And we certainly were having some roster issues. Um, they'll chalk it solely up to coaching. And there was certainly some coaching issues or they'll um, blame it on the pandemic. And that was obviously a factor as well. Um, and there's probably about a hundred other things going on. Uh, and I think to, to take out any one of those things and blame it all on that is not really fair. Um, Cause on the one hand, the pandemic was bad, but Hey, everybody was playing with through the same, through the same pandemic. Um, and, yeah, we had our fair share of, of coaching issues and, and, you know, roster issues, but I also think that's maybe not fair to the guys that we had in place because we had talented guys. You know, we had uh, Devin Tompkins, a guy that we'll talk about a lot later on in the show. He was on last year's squad. I mean, even talking about our head coach, um, you know, Gary Anderson came back for a second stint. In my opinion, Gary Anderson is one of the best coaches that has ever Uh, Coach at Utah State. You know, you look at the uh, Maverick Center renovations. None of that was possible without him. And so, I think that's an important distinction that you made. That it was just so many factors, and it was almost—I hate using this term—but it was like a perfect storm um, for Utah State football to just fall apart. Um, And it was—it was, you know, I I don't say this lightly, but last year was the type of season that destroys programs. Uh, If you had a couple seasons like that, Mm -hmm. you suddenly look like New Mexico State, where. You're not in a conference for a couple years because nobody wants you. Your facilities get overrun, and, um, you know, that's the kind of stuff that gets rid of football teams. And so for us to turn that around Mm -hmm. to win a championship, and that's another important distinction that you made, that having the opportunity to win a championship is very different than winning a championship And we did this year. You know, San Diego State, they had a chance to win a championship, and, you know, they got to that game, and, Uh, embarrassed themselves, they fell apart. And I think that's a huge distinction as well. And I'm glad you brought that up because Utah State went out there and they proved everybody wrong and then did it again and again and again. So I I think it was just such Mm -hmm. a great season, uh, especially compared to last season. And um, so, yeah, I I appreciate that. Um, Looking closer at that game, what were your thoughts during that game? Um, For me, it was uh,
4: a special teams victory. I mean, I could. we could not have asked for a better um, special teams uh, success, um, especially when San Diego State was raving up how good their kicker was and how good their special teams were and how, you know, essentially that we would just be able to be no match for them. And um, we took their kicker, their punter, completely out of the game. And we caused them to make a couple turnovers. We got a safety off one of them. Um, we recovered a... Um, you know, a kickoff uh, to be able to go and then score a touchdown off that um, kickoff return is just, I mean, you couldn't have asked for anything better. I think the special teams really set the tone um, because it was pretty, pretty close throughout the first two quarters. And then, I mean, at the end of the second, going all the way through the rest of the game, we just absolutely took them out of the game.
1: Yeah, that's a great point. And I think we do owe so much of this victory to special teams and their ability to, move the ball on a return. You know, none of those were returned for a touchdown save on still uh, stuck, tied for first on those returns um, for, you know, kickoffs. Mm-hmm. But whether it was a punter or a kickoff, we were able to move the ball back down the field, gain a lot of that, you know, um, gain a lot of that field back and put ourselves in positions to score. Twice we were able to block their punter. And one thing we talk about sports all the time at any level in any sport is you know, finding a way to take their best player out of the game. And we've uh, – here in Utah, for example, where a lot of us are Jazz fans or the local NBA team, and what we see is teams will try to play a game plan that takes Rudy Gobert out of the game on defense, right? If you can, If you can take a team's mm-hmm. best player out, you know, surprise, surprise, they're not as good. And usually you game plan that for a quarterback or for a linebacker or a wide receiver. Look at Utah State. We got the gunslinger Logan Bonner, fantastic quarterback, and then we have Justin Rice on defense and Devin Tompkins, in you know as a receiver. And those are traditionally your best players. But when you're game planning, when you know quite possibly their best player, or certainly the player with the highest level of mastery of his own position, is a punter. How do you game game plan that to take him out of the game? And they did a great job of that. They were able to take out probably the biggest advantage they had, which you know you know. Weirdly enough, was their punter, and we were able to just take that advantage away completely um, through game planning and execution. And mm-hmm. so, it was it was great to watch that. Yeah, and and
4: Logan Bonner, um, I I couldn't kind of put my finger on it throughout the rest of the, or throughout the whole season, but he kind of reminds me of Carson Wentz, a smaller Carson Wentz. Um, he is like he's got an arm that he can throw the ball, and he's really good at it, really accurate. I mean, he had a quarterback rating of 159, or sorry, not 150. He had a rating of 159, a quarterback rating of 93, which is in college, a 93 is is a really good um, quarterback rating. And yeah. to be able to watch him, to he had of the 300, and, I believe it was 368 yards, total yards by Utah State, he accounted for 318 of them. And when your quarterback is, you know, accounting for almost 80% of the, Um, the yards, the total yards that your team has made, you've got somebody special. You've got somebody who can really, really move a football team, you know, to win games. And and we saw that this year. And he, he was a big important part of being able to get the ball to guys to really know the game plan, like you said, and really execute what we needed to um, in order to make it to the the championship game and to win it.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. And Seems like, Cameron, every time we talk, we're always talking quarterbacks, whether it's Logan Bonner and Andrew Peasley at the beginning of the year um, or Jordan Love mm-hmm. when we have an excuse to talk about him. But, yeah, let's talk about Logan Bonner for a minute because he was such a big part of this team. And, uh, you know, we wouldn't have wouldn't have won it without him. I can confidently say that. Um, and for me, it was one of those things where I was never – uh, disappointed in Logan Bonner, never shocked that he was getting playing time over, you know, say Andrew Peasley, who, by the way, I still love and I think he's a starter on most teams in this league. But for me, mm-hmm. Logan Bonner kind of went from good to great throughout the season as he settled into his offense. Early on in the season, it seemed like he was relying on Devin Tompkins a lot because, I mean, let's be honest, I could throw touchdown passes to Devin Tompkins. The dude's unbelievably good. Um, but as he mm-hmm. went on through the season, he was able to target McGriff and um, Derek Wright, especially in the red zone, he got to a lot. And Brandon Bowling and Cal Van Leeuwen got some catches. And once he started to get a mm-hmm. hold of his, you know, his offense, he seemed to just get more and more unstoppable. Did you see the same thing or did you kind of um, see something different throughout the season for him?
4: Um, I definitely saw it improve. I, um, we know that we were trying to – in the beginning of the season, we are trying to figure out, okay, who exactly are we going with? And um, as you look more and more throughout the season, um, he got more time. Um, we're starting to get more comfortable with everybody there. Because, I mean, as a transfer, it's definitely hard to get used to um, playing in a program. And I not only did Utah State ex- exceed expectations for, you know, people who thought they were only going to win three wins, but I think they also ex- exceeded our expectations. Um, I definitely didn't think that yeah. we were gonna win the championship game, but I thought for sure, hey, we can we can still win some games and we can really, you know, make a statement here in the Mountain West to say, hey, we're not going anywhere. Just because last season we had some coaching issues, I think the team really came together because they the team came together and decided, hey, we're gonna we're gonna hold off on the rest of the season because we don't think that we should play if we're gonna be having these kind of struggles um, you know, within the team and that are on and off the field. And that was something that they came together and they figured out. Um, and so I, I, I don't know. I really thought that um, Logan Bonner especially was uh, one of the guys who helped really come in and just really lead a team, uh, especially for these guys who were looking for a quarterback. We were um, trying to look for who was going to be our starter throughout the season. And he really stepped up. And I really think that um, he can be a Nagy great for uh, the next year.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think so too. And, the thing with Logan Bonner, I mean, I'll say this, there's a reason Blake Anderson's getting paid more than I am, um, and th- there's a reason he's the coach and I'm not. And it was almost like Blake Anderson had this uh, this attitude with Logan Bonner of um, it's not if, but when. You know, it's not if he becomes mm-hmm. an elite quarterback, it's when he takes that step. And it was uh, just a matter of time. And hindsight's 2020. You know, I can clearly look back and see – You know what? Those quarterback battles that we saw in that Washington State game and in that Air Force game—by the way, Air Force Andrew Peasley won that game for us, Um, frankly—but to watch the quarterback Mm -hmm. battles that were happening then, and then to look at the Logan Bonner that we have now, um, it was clearly very apparent to Coach Blake Anderson that maybe wasn't it clear to us that uh, the Logan Bonner is the guy that's going to take this team to the next level um, and to help adjust the culture from last year and. Uh, One thing about last year, and um, again, I I don't like talking about last year anymore than the next guy, but I think you made another important point about last year um, in that a lot of the guys uh, stopped playing halfway through the season or at some point during the season, of course, the entire team decided not to uh, fly out to Colorado to play the Rams last year. Um, And one, one narrative that gets thrown around a lot is that they were quitters or that they quit on the team and, I I don't think that was true. I mean, obviously that was probably true with certain players and certain times. But, you know, you look at this group of guys, you look at some of these guys that left or put their names in the transfer portal and came back, you look at some of the guys that probably could have had a chance to leave and didn't, and there is nothing about this team that says quitter at all. Um, And I think you're right. I mean, there was a bad situation that was, you know, surrounding them. And I think they came to an agreement, whether it was with themselves or with each other, that it was better if they didn't play or if they explored different options. But at the end of the day they all came back and, you know, all it's all due to Coach Blake Anderson coming in and you know, riding the mm-hmm. ship a little bit, but they decided like we're gonna come back and not only are we gonna come back, but we're gonna buy in, we're gonna be a hundred percent in on this team. Um, no one's bigger than the program. no one's better than the program and they just came to win they were they were here to play and they were here to win so i i don't I don't think it's fair to call anybody a quitter from last year, even the guys that did leave Jalen Warren comes to mind uh he had a good year out at Oklahoma State who also had a great year as a team, and you can't fault him for looking for opportunities outside of the the program. But for those guys that came mm-hmm. back, man, it's gotta mean something special to go through that um and then to you know get some get some new brothers on the team and go out and win that championship.
4: Yeah. I especially think that those guys who were putting their name in the transfer portal, I don't, I don't blame them. Uh, especially with how right, right. We, like we've been talking about is, you know, how bad of a situation it's, it was. And, and, you know, you don't want to be a part of like people have their personal beliefs. If they don't want to be a part of a program where, you know, the issues that they kind of thought arose just didn't really align with them. Like, they have every right to leave for them. I mean, that just cause they want to leave Utah state because they, something doesn't work for them. We're not going to put that on them. Um, and I don't, I, you know, yeah. last year was just such a tough year that I think anyone, like anyone who wanted to say like, Hey, well, like we're done, like, this is just, you know, everything's just coming in and lining up to just kind of go against us here. And it just kind of stinks. I think we, you know, and that's obviously not the reason that they forfeit the season it was just because they wanted to quit. Um, but I, I mean, I wouldn't blame some of the guys if they're just like, man, I'm just, I'm just tired. It's just been, you know, one heck of a year, like mentally and physically, I just can't take it. Like, I, I, it just doesn't make sense to me that anyone would call them a quitter necessarily when, when the year that everybody's gone through, and especially in Utah state football, um, with coaching issues, trying to find a new coach with, you know, um, coach Anderson coming back for a second stint and just it's not working out as good as the first time. Like I think anyone had high expectations for the last couple of years and it wasn't going so well. And so then this year um, having a new coach, I was just so excited to be able to have somebody who was excited as Blake Anderson was coming in, um, having such a, a great year over in Arkansas that he was having. Um, it just was really, really exciting for me to be able to see like, Oh, I think, I think our players can really get excited about this guy coming in and, and some of the transfers that he's bringing with them was uh, just so key to to making some really great pieces that we didn't have um, going into the year. And it just made a lot of sense to me once Blake Anderson came in. So I'm really happy with what he's been able to do to change, um, not necessarily change, but just build up the culture to to be excited and to be able to um, have the guys think like, Hey, we can actually go all the way this year. And I'm sure that they believed it from the beginning and, um, they just work so hard for it, and I, I'm so proud of them for everything that they've done. And you know, just a huge congratulations to the Utah State football team for winning the championship.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, I I couldn't say it any better uh, myself. That's that's just a great analysis of of Blake Anderson coming into the program, and and you're right. This team did believe it from day one. I I had an opportunity to sit down and talk to almost all the players before the, before the team as part of their media days. um, You know, they, they had that trip down to Vegas and they came back and did a little bit of a media blitz here. And uh, Jacob uh, Nielsen and I, the the editor here basically had a chance to sit down in one of their classrooms in their, um, in that football complex down on the, you know, in the North end zone. And they basically lined up (laughs) out the door and they'd come and sit down, introduce themselves. We talked for about a minute to two minutes and they'd move on. And we talked to, probably half the team in in a short period of time. And one of the questions that we would ask pretty consistently is what's the ceiling for this team? And not one of them said anything other than winning the championship. Every single one of them said, you know, we're going to win the championship. Like we're going to win the Mountain West. Um, And of course, you know, that's, I don't know if they were prepared for that question or if they, you know, had thought about it before, but every single one of those guys, completely believed at least in their own heart that they could go out and win a championship. And you know what they, they did, they proved a lot of people wrong, but they got to prove themselves right in doing so. And I think, um, it's just been a a great ride for obviously the players, but even us as fans to to go to watch and, um, kind of be, uh, be part of that too in in a small way. It's been uh, so much fun. Mm -hmm. I want to, I want to ask you and, you know, I want to pick your brain a little bit, um, with your, kind of NFL mind you're very in tune with the NFL more so than than I would be and one thing that I think is completely being forgotten that no one's talking about is the fact that Devin Tompkins has expressed his desire to go play in the NFL next season uh you won't be coming back and and you know taking advantage of another year of eligibility um and I'm not sure how we haven't talked about this uh more as fans it seems like it's gone under the radar and of course we have a lot of things to celebrate with winning that championship game but uh what do you think that looks like for Devin Tompkins? Do you think he has a shot? Like what do you uh what do you see in his future playing on Sundays? Um
4: I think I think he has a great opportunity to be able to to really just turn some heads in the NFL. Um especially if he gets put in the right situation. I think if anything we hope he goes, you know, second or third round to um an ideal team that's got a great quarterback that's just looking for some pieces to be able to throw the ball to. Um at five eight, I get a little bit nervous about his height just because some teams are the average wide receiver is about six one um, in the NFL, and obviously the taller it's a little bit better to, or easier for the wide receivers themselves to get the ball. Um, but Devin Tompkins is a guy who' he, he uses his quickness and his speed um, to be able to to get the ball um, and to be able to get past any defenders to be able to open up and create space for himself. Uh, I don't really see him having a problem, but I I do see some NFL executives probably looking at his height and just how small he is and not being too thrilled about him. Um, while you know we as you know Utah State Aggies, we know exactly what he can do and what he's capable of, and um, just how close he was to to beating the um, the season record for total yards received this year. And I I think that we've got a great wide receiver. I think he I think he can do some great things in the NFL. Um, I think if he goes, you know, even to a team that has some questions at wide receiver, they've got great wide receivers, but questions um, is definitely someone like the Seattle Seahawks. Um, you know, you get Russell Wilson that comes back. If Devin Tompkins can get in there and really just prove how good he, he is and how he can create space with his speed, his quickness, um, I think that's somebody that Russell Wilson would really, really like. Um, another team that I think of that comes to mind is the Cincinnati Bengals. Joe Burrow is a great quarterback and we see how well he's been able to um, connect with Jamari Chase, one, because that they played together before, but also just because Jamari Chase is a great wide receiver. Devin Tompkins goes to the Cincinnati Bengals. That gives them two really good threats, um, both that are, you know, quick for their size, um, someone who can create speed and get open and just put up some really big numbers and really help the ball move down the field. I, I think those are two teams that I would, I would see some ideal situations for, for Devin Tompkins. Hopefully we can see him come in and um, really just turn some heads. I, I, you know, I don't, he's obviously not being talked about uh, as much as we would like, uh, but I think that gives a great opportunity for him to be able to turn some heads uh, at the combine or, um, you know, on any pro days that uh, he attends uh, would be an awesome opportunity for him to be able to really turn some heads before the draft.
1: Yeah. I think pro day and that combine is going to be a great opportunity for him to just show his, uh, his lightning quickness, are so obviously going to measure his vertical, which is impressive too. Um, and you, you mm-hmm. kind of answered my my follow-up question, or the the only concern I guess, if I have one, would be his height. Um, he's a little bit smaller um, according to the measurements, but according to his game, um, there's no way to to tell. I mean, the dude plays like he's uh, seven foot five out there. He is able to climb up the ladder uh he's able to uh make, he's able to compensate for overthrown or underthrown balls and uh he's got great hands so i you know watching him play you'd never guess that he was a little bit undersized um but he's got the quickness i think he's got the the hands he's got that ability to go vertical mm-hmm. that i think is going to really help compensate for that and, and one other note i mean he led the nation in total receiving yards and mm-hmm. yards per reception and I think if you right. if you lead the nation in two significant statistics like that, uh, there's no way you don't get a shot. Um, I think another thing is, um, you know, those numbers kind of allude to is his ability to get yards after he catches the ball because he does move really well with the ball. So not only is he getting open uh, to put himself in the position to catch the ball, but once he does, he's going to get around your guys and uh, he's going to find some green in front of him.
4: Yeah. I, I'm really excited for him and what I think he can do and, And obviously, there have been some shorter wide receivers who have been, you know, really great, um, really great players uh, in the NFL. I just think some of the executives probably look at that, and that's one of their concerns as well. And so I definitely don't think he's a, a, I don't think he's going to, just for that reason, going to be a first rounder, but I think he goes second, third round. I just don't see, I don't see an NFL team passing him up, especially with how good of a season he's had with the yards he's been able to make and the space he's able to create. I think he's something that, I I would be completely shocked if the NFL passed him up. Um,
1: I really think he's, you know, at latest fourth round. Yeah, I agree. I think he should get a shot. Obviously, he has one more week this week to prove himself uh, against some high level talent coming from the Pac-12 against the Oregon State Beavers. So hopefully he can put on a show down in L.A. And, uh, you know, hopefully turn some heads there. And then, of course, uh, throughout the rest of that draft process. But uh, what a career he's had. Um, uh, It's just been it's just been really fun to watch him. He's just the greatest guy being able to talk to him. Um, one thing that is that just stands out to me is just how kind and polite he is. Um, every time you talk to him, um, we, you know, where I am on the sidelines after the, after the games, I'll be able to interact with the players and I try not to bother him too much, but I'll I'll, I'll go and shake their hand and tell him you know, good game or whatever. And mm-hmm. Devin Tompkins always just smiles and he, he looks you right in the eyes and says, I appreciate you. And, uh, he's he's just the man. Like, I, I've loved being able to, to rub shoulders with him a little bit. Um, obviously, he has no idea who I am and wouldn't recognize me. But uh, being able to watch him from, from up close has been really cool, and he's he's the man. So, obviously, I wish him the best, and I think he, I think he has a shot. Like you said, I don't think anyone's going to pass him up. But it, it's been great to watch this team and, and these players. Devin Tompkins is a
4: great, great guy. Every, every single time I've seen him in an interview just, like, look just – if you just look at him and glance at him and just his demeanor just he seems like a really positive guy a really happy guy and I think that's really something that our team uh, needed this year was just a guy who was going to be happy and was going to be positive and be there to really help and push everybody and so I think yeah I think he has a really great opportunity to go forward and he just seems like a really great guy.
1: Yeah yeah the the team is uh, not to take away from uh, from the character that that he has but the team is just full of uh, great guys it's a bunch of a bunch of stand-up guys that you would, uh, you know, you love, you love that they represent our school, and I think Blake Anderson has helped a lot with that, as uh, you know, helping helping our team, uh, you know, have some have some pride in in themselves in the school, and you can tell, I mean, they, there's just a, de- a demeanor about them, and you know, a pride about them that they uh, they're they're good guys, and I, I'm proud to to have them represent our school, especially when they get to uh, lift up a trophy at the end of the season, so. Uh, It's been a ride Mm -hmm. been it's been great. And it's been, it's been fun. There's not a more likable group of guys in my opinion. And there's, you know, not very many, there's not very many more talented groups of guys out there either. I mean, they have proven everybody wrong and, you know, I think they've had some class while doing it. So, um, well, Hey Cameron, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Um, Let's do this again soon. I think we, uh, we got to talk more.
4: Yep. Yep. We definitely with uh Utah State basketball um coming in full swing. I think we've got some really great opportunities to have some more conversations in the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We'll uh we'll be talking basketball and, and let's keep an eye on uh Devin Tompkins and anybody else that might be trying to go and make that jump and uh we'll we'll have you back to talk about some of our uh NFL guys as well. So we'll have you back soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, man.
0: That was Cameron McCurdy. Coming up next, we have Mark Greenwood. Cameron was so great to talk to. I really like his perspective on last year, and uh, I I really liked getting into Devin Tompkins and his future with Cameron. Uh, Cameron is very much a player's journalist. He's very in tune with the players. He's very pro players, uh, and that's refreshing to talk to somebody like that. Uh, Too often, I think we are way too hard on our athletes, especially these kids are... Are just that they're kids, they're student athletes, they're students first, um, and we're we're too hard on them sometimes. And so I love talking to Cameron, and he's very pro players, and uh, you know hearing him talk about the mindset of the guys from last year, and you know why some of those things unfolded the way it did, uh, the situation that they were in was not maybe conducive to their success, and after all, that's what college sports is all about. So I think that was a great perspective. Then, of course, talking a little bit about Devin Tompkins and what he's capable of. I, I think Devin Tompkins is going to have a great career. Uh, he's going to get paid to play football, and that's that's the dream, right? So uh, very proud of Devin Tompkins, and we're really looking forward to see what he can do um, at that next level. He's, like I mentioned, just a stand-up guy. He's one of those guys on the team that... Um, just talking to him makes your day better He's, he's such a good guy um, there's, a, there's a few guys on the team that are like that um, That are just really funny and positive guys And I think, like Cameron said, that's exactly what this team needed The team needed leaders like Devin Tompkins And some others are Savon Scarver Who is probably the funniest guy I've, I've met Funniest guy on the team for sure um, We're talking about Nick Henniger as a leader as well Who's just such a positive guy And sometimes you need leaders and captains that are Uh, a little bit harder and a little bit tougher, and this team, I think, needed some positivity coming from that leadership, and whether that meant Blake Anderson at the tippy top or guys like Devin Tompkins, Nick Henniger, on, on the ground with the players. Um, the leadership of this team was really, really good. And obviously Devin Tompkins is a big part of that. I uh, hope he has a has a great career moving forward. Um, coming up next, I have Mark Greenwood. This was a great conversation. I really appreciated Mark making the time to talk to me. He was down in L.A. at that game, so he had a great perspective. I had a lot of questions for what he was seeing there on the ground, obviously we all know that being at a sporting event live is very different than watching on TV, so some of my questions might seem kind of silly or dumb, but uh, I was really just trying to pick up on what it was like in the stadium. Uh, a lot of those things that I missed while I was watching on TV um, from my couch while he was there, so uh, Mark had a, some great insight. He's very informed. He really knows what he's talking about. I hope you enjoy this conversation I have with Mark. Here it is.
1: All right, so joining me now is uh, Mark Greenwood. He is another writer here at the Statesman. He's been doing a lot of good work. Um, He's one of the more recent hires at the Statesman that uh, Jacob was able to uh, reel in and and recruit to our team. Um, Mark, how are you doing today?
3: Good, how are you?
1: Good, good. Hey, thanks for uh, making the time to come on and talk about Utah State football. Um, Like I said, you're you're right here at the Statesman, you've been doing some great work. How's it how's it been at the Statesman? How long have you been here and how have you enjoyed it so far?
3: Yeah, so I've been here um I think I was hired in the middle of September. Right. So just over just over two months, coming up on about three months, and it's it's been awesome and I've I've loved it. Uh it's always kind of been my dream to work in sports and I never really knew what capacity I wanted that to be in and, and this has just been a way that I've been able to pursue that and it's been a ton of fun. So I've loved every minute of it.
1: Yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I kinda of have a similar story where I just wanted to do something with sports and never really had a chance. It was always kind of a pipe dream until I posted something on Twitter and Jacob was like, Hey man, you should come out for the Statesman and uh here I am. So it's been it's been really fun. I it's it's a great opportunity. Um and with the statesman, Mark, you had a chance to go last week to the Mountain West Championship game. Um, and that's what I wanted to get your thoughts on because, you know, I could I could sit here and talk about Utah State's football team and what they've been able to do from last year to this year and just even this year in a vacuum and how fun it's been. Um, I could talk for hours, um, but I don't want to do that. I'd rather get, you know, some, some other input. And you were down there with the team and in the stadium. So I wanted to get your thoughts. What was the environment like down there? What was that game like? Just uh, talk a little bit about that if you don't mind.
3: Yeah, so it was it was a really fun game uh, at I mean it's at San Diego but more of kind of a neutral site if we're being honest. Uh, like San Diego State's building their new stadium. They've been playing at the uh, LA Galaxy Stadium for the last couple of years, so there there were definitely more San Diego State fans there. But honestly, the Utah State fans traveled well. Um, they they had a they had a presence there for sure. Um, you could hear a lot of chants going around. Um, especially the big plays from the defense, you know, some winning team chance there at the end. There was a good Utah State presence. Um, and it was it was a fun environment. You know, the San Diego State fans um, had a good time in the first half and then started to trickle out in the second half. So it was it was a lot of fun. It was a cool it was a cool environment. Um, interesting stadium. One of the more unique football stadium atmospheres I've been to. Um just not really built for football, not built very conducively for a football environment, but it was, it was still a it was still a cool stadium, a good time.
1: Yeah, it looked like a lot of fun. It looked like one of those stadiums and one of those environments where, um, like you said, it wasn't conducive maybe for football. It certainly wasn't built for football. Um, and it certainly seemed like one of those stadiums where it's going to be a lot more fun if your team is winning. Um, but watching your team get beat up the way we beat up on the Aztecs was maybe not quite as fun. Um, you can definitely tell, like, the grass was – It wasn't turf; It was natural grass, and a lot of the players and Scotty G had uh, maybe not the kindest words to say about it. It didn't look very, you know, top-notch, but um, it's one of those where we were winning, so it was was fun for us. I'm sure it was a fun environment. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the game um, because watching live, in my opinion, is just so different than watching on TV, and that's what I was doing. I was at home watching on TV, and I was kind of listening to the – televised broadcast, and I was kind of tuning in as much as I could to Scotty G. I was listening to him pre-game and, and post-game, um, but it's just not the same as being there. And so I wanted to get your take on watching that live. Was there a moment in that game where you felt like things were starting to turn and go in favor of Utah State, or was it um, pretty consistently throughout? Like, how, how was that feeling uh, watching the game unfold?
3: Yeah. Yeah. Um really throughout the first half, but especially that first quarter, you know, you end the first quarter scoreless. And it just, to me, I was a little uneasy in the first quarter because the defense is playing so well, forcing three and outs, you know, one first down and punt and just defense is playing so well. And the offense was struggling a little bit to get some some traction. Um, It had me a little uneasy, even going into the halftime, 14, three, um, definitely not out of striking range from San Diego State. But to me, when the tide really turned, um, they're two minutes into the second half, the uh, the 50-yard bomb from Bonner to, to Bowling. After that, it just kind of felt like that was that was the gut punch to San Diego State, and that was kind of the, the moment that the tide turned. Um, then you have just other little momentum builders, you know, the blotch punts, you know, the big fourth down stops. um you know, holding, holding San Diego State to a field goal a couple of times in the red zone, but to me, that, that first possession right out of the half, you know, just, it was only like five plays, big, long touchdown pass, quick strike, and all of a sudden, you're up 18, um, it just felt like San Diego State had the wind knocked out of them, and, um, that's kind of when I felt like they weren't going to get back up, um, as long as Utah State didn't let them get back up, you know, they didn't, I didn't think they necessarily had to keep landing blows, but just. Keep them down, and I mean they—they they obviously just went ahead and kept kept pouring it on. But that was kind of the moment yeah. that I saw the the momentum
1: really swing. Yeah, that was a great play. I think I think you're right. That was one of those back-breaking plays for uh for Utah State, and I, I like how you put that because it was almost like Utah State just got out ahead of that game and turned it into a game where it was ours to lose. And obviously, that first quarter was a little bit slow to start, which we've seen that before. With Utah State um, and I think it's just come down to in a couple games where Utah State just has to say like look the first quarter we're just going to ride it off and we just have to not fall behind and once we get settled in we're the better team quarters two through four and that's been true for most of the season um, but coming out of that first quarter early on in that second quarter we just got out ahead I mean San Diego State never led um, and it just kind of became ours to lose and it kind of became very apparent that all Utah State had to do was not let San Diego State get up. And one of the one of the numbers I wanted to point to that to me kind of spoke to that of of Utah State just having to not let up was actually the penalties. Utah State was penalized four times for 42 yards. Meanwhile, San Diego State had nine flags for 120 yards. Um that's a pretty big discrepancy and it felt like to me watching on TV that San Diego State was just the inferior team. It just felt like it was all Utah State all the way from basically the beginning of the game, or at least, you know, the second quarter on. Um, And it just seemed like we were causing so many problems for San Diego State that they were making silly mistakes, dumb penalties. Were you seeing that same thing live? Or, you know, did it seem more competitive from maybe a in-person view and obviously maybe a less biased view? Everyone knows that I'm quite biased towards the Aggies. Was that something you were seeing as well? Um, that it was kind of a lopsided game, or, or did it seem pretty competitive?
3: Yeah, for sure. I think the first, probably the first twenty twenty-five minutes were pretty close, pretty competitive, and then once the Aggies started to pull away, it was kind of, kind of gone from there. But you talk about penalties, and that was something that I I really noticed as well. Nine penalties, that's especially compared to only four. That's a ton. Um, and the biggest yeah. thing was six of those penalties were personal foul after the yep. play. Um, and so it was just like you said, stupid penalties. That that was pretty much it. You know, if you take those, just those, you know not very bright, not very savvy penalties out of the out of the equation, then San Diego State's right there. But I mean, you got stuff like uh, Matt Ariza late hits out of bounds on a punt. Like that's that's just not you know that's just not playing smart. Um, and they that, they had yeah. six of them, and that racks up. You know, those 15 yarders after the play. Racks up tons of yards, and I think that just comes from, you know, like you say, being the inferior team. I think it I, that that's just mentally, you know, you get those yeah. those late hits after the play. I think that's just a mental battle that San Diego State was losing, um, and just got worse throughout the game, with the with the personal fouls. So I definitely agree with you on that one. It just felt like, especially when you look at the penalty standpoint, that San Diego State was just just the inferior team, and Utah State was much more composed um seemed like they knew much more what they were doing even though you know they weren't necessarily expected to be in that spot they they looked like the veterans
1: yeah they were much more composed it almost seems like Utah State had a game plan of uh you know here's what we're going to do if they do x we're going to do y um and San Diego State I think was uh, at least thinking they were the better team and I i I can't help but wonder if their game plan was just you know go out and win and rely on our size and our speed and our strength to win. And Utah State just came in, and they were they knew what they were supposed to do. They were more composed, like you said. Um, and, and, you know, stuff like that is fun to watch when your team is playing that well. They just look like a well-oiled uh, machine. There's two things that you brought up that I want to talk about. The first is some of those late hits, and then the other is specifically Matt Ariza. His late hit out of bounds, I don't think I've ever seen a punter get a personal foul like that. Um, watching the replay, I'm not sure if you've seen it, it very well could have been targeting. Um, I can't remember if they took a, took a look at it or not, but um, I was watching that and I thought that it very well could have been. The announcers kind of mentioned it as well. Had it been like a linebacker, I think they probably would have called it targeting just because the way he led with his head out of bounds. I, I've never seen that out of a punter. I want to talk about the Matariza thing in a minute um, because that was fun to just dismantle their punt god. But the other thing I wanted to talk about is some of those personal fouls. Uh, a lot of them come into Logan Bonner. I want to talk about Logan Bonner. Uh, QB1 has been showing out all season, but it's also no secret that he's been really banged up, um, at least for the second half of the season, where you know his body is just so beat up, it's going to need two weeks to recover. He only has one week to, to get back on the field. And I want to preface this by saying you know, I, I don't want to accuse any other teams of malicious intent or anything like that, But you can't help but wonder, and I'm wondering if you've seen this as well, teams just knowing that Logan Bonner is – his body is reaching the limit and then just going out of their way to try to take shots on him, knowing that if they can get him to come out for a play or two, they have a chance because Logan Bonner is such a good quarterback. But, you know, I I noticed a lot of those where it was like, if you have a shot on this kid, take it. And, again, I don't mean to accuse Brady Hoke of anything. I respect him, and I don't think – they had a dirty game plan, but – could you see of that, any of that, as, of just that little extra edge, a little extra motivation to get to Logan Bonner, knowing that they might be able to take him out of the game for an extended period of time?
3: Yeah, and I think it was multifactorial as well. Like you said, Bonner's been banged up, so I, I think there was definitely that. You know, if we can get home three, four, five times, then then that's going to make a big difference in his game. Um, I also think part of it was Andrew Peasley uh, appeared unavailable. I don't think he was officially ruled out for the game, but... Um, he wasn't warming up with anybody pregame. That was kind of one of the things I noticed is, is that Andrew yep. not didn't look like he was available to go. So you, you, you add that in there, and it's kind of like, well, if you can get Bonner out, then they're going to be falling on their third string, and then you really got to like your chances. So I think that was definitely yeah. part of it is kind of smelling that blood. And then, honestly, the yeah, biggest right. thing that I think it was, was was frustration. You know, this San Diego State D-line, I mean, they're big. They're fast. They're physical. They've got, you know, all-conference defensive ends, defensive player of the year. Um, they're good, and they're used to racking up five to ten sacks a game um, on on average. And they only had two for the whole game last Saturday. And I think it was I think they were just frustrated. You know, all game long, the Bonner was moving around. He was getting the ball out of his hands quick. He did not spend much time in the pocket, even when he did hold onto the ball. Um, you know, it was play action, roll out, get a little bootleg action and, and get rid of it. Um, so I think it was frustration. You know, they're trying to get home. Um, our offensive line held up really well throughout the whole game. And they were just mad that they weren't tallying their normal sack totals. And and when they had those opportunities to get in there and get in, I think they were just frustrated they couldn't. And so that kind of bled into those late hits of roughing the passers. Um, so, yeah, I think it was just frustration and also kind of smelling that blood like you said
1: yeah that's a great point I hadn't even uh, I hadn't even thought of that Uh, but you're totally right that's a defense that usually gets their numbers they usually are able to get in the backfield and cause problems for the quarterback sack the quarterback and get a lot of tackles for loss Um, and they just weren't able to do that Um, we're talking about a defense that you know we scored 46 on them they haven't had 46 scored on them uh, all season long Brady Hoke in his four years at San Diego State has never given up 46 Um, so definitely some unfamiliar territory and that would be very frustrating for that, that defensive side of the ball for San Diego state. And then, yeah, so moving into that other, uh, that other aspect of the game, um, because obviously their, their defense was highly touted coming into the game, but I think the other part of their team or the other aspect of their team, um, was their punter, Matt Ariza and Brady Hoke, their head coach had, had said maybe somewhat jokingly, but somewhat serious as well, that Matt Ariza was the best player on the team. And, um, we, uh, we completely did dismantled their their special teams with with Matareza trying to punt the ball. We blocked one, um, just a straight up block. It still went thirty yards. But then we had another one where we uh, quasi blocked it by pushing his own blocker into the ball. Um, what was the reaction like to that? Uh, could you get a Could you get a read on San Diego State? Was that frustrating for them? And what was that like seeing that kind of unfold before you? Yeah, uh
3: I, like you said, they they might say it jokingly, but when they say Mattarises is their best player, I think most of them actually believe that. You know, <laughs> he's kind of that lifeblood, you know, booming these 86-yard punts. I think I think a lot of them truly believe and at least especially from their fans that he really is the most talented player on that roster. Um and so I think getting to him like that it it shakes all of them, it shook, shook everybody in their confidence. Uh even even the one that wasn't blocked had one early in the first quarter. You know, I had, I think, a 25, 30-yard return, and then you had a Matt Arise, a late hit out of bounds. It ended up, you know, about 50 yards from where the returner caught the ball. So even the one that wasn't blocked, a couple big plays, big run backs. So, yeah, I think it definitely gets to him. And when you get to a guy like that and shake his confidence and just the way that he kind of embodies their team and that mindset of even when you get a stop, you still have to deal with this guy. And the Aggies really didn't have to. It was get a stop and then we'll stop him as well. And so I think it really did rattle the confidence of all of them. It kind of bled into their offense trying to make make better plays than they're used to because they don't have as much confidence in that guy. So, yeah, I definitely think getting to him twice, especially, it it was unnerving for him for sure.
1: To me, it really felt like just like that ultimate – Alpha dog move on the Aztecs. Like not only did we beat them on offense, we beat them on defense. um We you know we could have won that game probably just as comfortably without blocking any punts. We would have won forty six to thirteen. Um, but just to completely you know puff out your chest, block a punt, block another one that you almost fall on for a, you know a touchdown, it ends up being a safety, um first safety in non West championship game history. I mean. That kind of thing is just a total total indicator that we were just dominating the game. It wasn't close really at all, um otherwise you know we wouldn't have blocked two puns and um had our special teams score a safety and all that so that that's what it just felt like watching. It was just like I was almost in awe at every facet of our game and their ability to just dominate the you know the guys in front of them and and talking about that, we've talked about this a little bit throughout the season, and so just a quick question for you being you know, up close with the players. Um, when I'm at home games, I'm obviously sideline. I get a much better feel for the players and the size difference and things like that. Um, and you, you just don't get that on TV. You just can't. Um, and Utah State has gone up against teams probably all year, probably a majority of the teams we've played, um, where we're just, you know, outmatched, at least in size, certainly not in talent, certainly not in speed. But um, was that size difference a factor? Could you see that you know, was San Diego State's their their line and their players, were they just were they really that much bigger than, than our own and we were able to, to dominate that or was that not as big of a factor that you could see? As far as
3: size goes, um, I didn't really see too much from that. The thing that I was that really shocked me is the whole week leading up to that game, kind of the whole storyline was about San Diego and especially how much bigger, faster, stronger, and especially more physical San Diego State right. was, especially right. on the defensive side and in the trenches. Um, really, Utah State not only matched their physicality, but really raised it. You know, the yeah. Utah yeah, State absolutely. D line especially just just had their way. You know, they were much more physical than the San Diego State O line. Um, same thing goes on offense. Just the battle of the trenches, the Aggies were much more physical on both sides of the ball. And so even if there was a slight size advantage for the Aztecs, um, you know, the Aggies kind of came out with that that underdog fighting mentality that they didn't care. They didn't care about your analysis or, you know, what you think is going to happen. They just, they felt disrespected. And you could kind of feel that energy from the whole sideline. Um, yeah. And so they just came out and they were angry. And it just showed in their, in their physicality. And they just pushed guys around and, and had their way.
1: No, well, that's, that's awesome. And I, I ask because, like you said, the storyline, the narrative leading up to that game was San Diego State's bigger. They're stronger. They're faster. They're, you know, especially more – they're more physical in the trenches. And I I wonder because the way that game looked from the television, we looked like the bigger team. You know, we were – we looked like men playing against boys. We just really, I think, embarrassed that team um, for them to lose that bat. Um, and so I, I wonder what that actual size difference was, because um, the physicality you could see was there for the Aggies. Um, and it has been all season. You know, we went up against, you know, from from Washington State to BYU, to UNLV, Hawaii, Boise State, all these teams that probably had bigger guys up front, um, but we were able to just match their intensity and physicality. So, um, you know, and, and as an Aggie fan and as someone who's followed the Aggies, that's not something that surprised me to see that against San Diego State, um, but it's just another it's just another week of winning a football game when the narrative has been about the other team all week long and Utah State's done that uh, a lot this year. So uh, it was it was a great year and a great game. All right, Mark. So I don't want to take up too much of your time here. So I just want to want to ask one more question. I want to ask about the bowl game coming up. Before I do that, though, do you have anything else you want to talk about or touch on with that championship game or?
3: the championship run that we've had? I'd just like to kind of expound on something you just said now. Um, Kind of talked about that. The storyline was really all about the other team the whole season, and I think that's 100% correct. You know, even coming into the season, there were no no expectations for this team. Nobody thought anything was going to happen. You know, the Vegas over-under was set at three-and-a-half wins, and really just low expectations. Nobody was really following it and this the Blake Anderson mentality go 1-0 and every week you know and I think that's really what they've done and that's that's been their mindset you know don't worry about last week don't worry about next week just got to go 1-0 and this week and I think the only the only game that I really think that they kind of lapsed on that was the Wyoming game it seemed to me yeah. like the Wyoming game coming into that one the storyline was a little bit more on the Aggies and if they can win this one they basically punched their ticket and I think it let it get to them. They kind of lost a little bit of that underdog spirit that we saw on Saturday. And, I mean, it showed. And Mike Blake Anderson said, after the game, I think without the Wyoming one, they don't win. They don't win that San Diego State game. And um, that kind of just reminded them, you know, don't worry about next week. We got to win tonight. We got to win today um, and go 1-0 every week. And so I think once they once they got back to that, really San Diego State had no chance after they, they got back to that mentality. Um, so I think that just spoke a testament to just just everything they've done all year, you know, being the underdog, not having any expectations and just focusing on on the next game. Yeah, no, I, I
1: couldn't agree more. And I, I love that quote by Coach Anderson after the game. I'm glad you brought that up because uh, I, I had kind of forgotten about it. But a lot of times coaches will say something like that, like, oh, well, you know, we really needed that loss or this this bad thing to happen, this uh, this little bit of adversity. And a lot of times it's just coach speak, right? You're like, okay, you, you know, you're just saying that because you did lose. Um, But with Coach Anderson right. saying that, you know, I really do believe that. Like, I really don't know if we are winning that game against San Diego State. Certainly, you know, 46-13, to 13, which is a huge blowout of a really good team. Um, I don't know if we win that game without the Wyoming loss. And it is interesting looking through the season, you know, listening to my show, I've been talking about, Utah State potentially playing in the Mountain West Championship for way too long. I jumped on it way too early. Um, But I think especially like after that Colorado State game is when I started to look up at the schedule and think, you know, we might be able to win out. Um, But the narrative didn't catch up to Utah State, you know, on a national level really until the Wyoming game. And I think that was the first time when there was a collective acknowledgement that Utah State was no longer the underdog, that they are probably going to win out, you know, coming off of that win against San Jose. Uh, in a pretty convincing fashion, we look forward, and it's like, you know what, we're the best team on the rest of our schedule, and, you know, we immediately lose a pretty bad one to Wyoming. So I I think you uh, you hit it right on the head there with Utah State just having to dial in, and, and they kind of like being the underdogs, and they have been all year, and it's hard not to be when you're only supposed to win three and a half games and you go out and have the season that they had. So, um, yeah, that was a, that was a great point. So I'm glad you brought that up as well. And then, yeah, like I said, I just want to get your – uh, get some final thoughts. If you have anything else on that, uh, you're more than welcome to to touch on, you know, our our championship run and everything. But I also want to get your your thoughts moving forward. Um, how excited are you for that bowl game? And just talk about that for a minute.
3: I'm way excited. I think that's gonna be that's gonna be a fun game to watch. You know, Oregon State's a good program, they're having a bounce back year, trying to get back on the right track, and, and they're doing it. You know, they're a fun team to watch. They've got some playmakers, and I think it's gonna be a great game. I'm I'm ready for it. I'm excited.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm stoked. I think it's a great opponent. Um, it's not very often that we get to play Power Five teams, um, and certainly not very often that we get to do it in a postseason environment like this in a bowl game. Um, it's only happened once before when we played Baylor um, in a bowl game that wasn't even sanctioned by the NCAA. So this is really the first of its kind, and you know, it's a, there's no bigger stage really that you can get to as a Mountain West team than the LA Bowl, and you know, pack 12 opponents about the best you can, uh, you can hope for. So uh, I think it's a, it's a huge opportunity for the program. And uh, it, it to me shows, you know, it's it's finally that that payoff from what these guys have been working on all year long.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, great matchup. Like you said, really just creates a great opportunity to just continue building on what's happened this year. You know, you use this, you know, success to get success. You know, you keep winning this year, keep winning next year, and you're a winning program. That's that's your culture. You know, people want to come here and play here because you, you win games. So just another opportunity to kind of build on that and continue to show everybody we're Utah State. We win games. That's that's our MO, that's what we do.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I uh couldn't have said it better myself. You know, we, we're Utah State and we win games. That's what we do. So uh, I think it's been really impressive what Blake Anderson has been able to do in terms of changing the culture. Um, and I think at this point it's safe to say that that culture has been shifted and now it's more about establishing a culture moving forward. And like you said, that starts this week. You you continue to win, finishes with, finish this season with a win, move on to next season and win games next season. And that's how you establish a winning culture. And that's how you become, you know, that's how you earn that attitude of we're Utah State and we win games, like you're saying. So, Hey, man, I really appreciate you uh, making the time to join me and uh, make time for this phone call. Um, do you have anything else on Utah State football that you want to talk about?
3: Um, You know, I just think uh, this Saturday, I want to know every week, right? Like they've been saying, I think it's going to be one. I think the game's going to be one in the trenches. You know, whoever wins that game is going to be the more physical team up front. And I think I think the mentality that this team's played with all year sets them up really nicely for that. Um, but just need to continue with that, go one and know every week and, and focus on you know, the Mountain West Championship. That was last week. You know, that happened. That's passed. We gotta get we gotta got another game. Um and I I think I I think I I think we'll see that this team is, is gonna do that. Um last Saturday I was talking to offensive coordinator Anthony Tucker after the game and just asking him about, you know, where is there to go from here next season, you know, what's that's kind of happening. He had to kind of remind me, he says, Hey man, we got another game. You know, what are we talking about next season? We got another game to prepare for. And I, just, <laughs> I love it. Just hearing that from him, from him last week, he's like, all right, these guys get it. You know, they're, they're going to be ready. Um, So yeah, that game was last week and, and I think they're going to be zoned in on, on this Saturday. So I'm ready to watch it. I'm excited. I think they're going to come out firing and it should be a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I agree. Um, it's kind of, it's fun, right? It's a little bit weird, but it's fun. You know, we won the Mountain West Championship. That's kind of the goal that we have all season, but you know what? Season's not over. We still got some more football, so we got to go out and go 1-0 this week, and then we can focus on whatever happens in the summer, whether it's recruiting or moving on to play in the NFL. You know, every every coach and every player has a different agenda once that uh, bowl game ends, but until then, it's all about going 1-0 this week, so um, hey, I appreciate the time. I really appreciate, um, you know, your insights and um taking the time to talk to me about utah state football one of the uh, one of the high points of the program for sure you know without a doubt so i really appreciate it um let's do this again sometime man
3: yeah for sure anytime you know this has been this has been great
1: all right well hey i appreciate it i'll talk to you soon
0: so there's my conversation that i had with mark greenwood um I told you it was a good one. He really does know what he's talking about, and it was a really fun conversation. Um, I really liked one thing that Mark brought up, and it's that conversation that he had with Coach Anthony Tucker, um, the offensive coordinator of the Utah State Aggies this year, obviously did a great job with the offense that we ran this year. and It's just so easy in sports to look ahead and to look beyond the moment, and the Utah State Aggies just aren't doing that this year. They just... They are going 1-0 every week, and you know what? It's worked 10 times this year. Um, just taking it week by week, and you know what? They've gone 1-0 in 10 different weeks so far this year. Their final record is 10-3. So a wildly successful season for Utah State, and a lot of that does come down to the mental toughness and the mental focus of this team, and it comes from the coaching staff. And so Utah State's ability to go 1-0 every week I think is really going to help them this week. And we've talked about it. And Mark and I had a, had a great conversation about this. Um, Utah State is the underdog. They, they kind of have to be an underdog. Um, they've been an underdog all year. I think that's a big part of their identity this year. They just constantly are winning games that they're not supposed to win. They are winning games when they're the underdog like we talked about the the moment they became not the underdog is the moment they uh kind of fell apart in that Wyoming game and lost pretty bad at home on senior night for for the rifle and looking at this game this week they're definitely the underdog they're going against a Pac-12 team a Power 5 team this Oregon State team like Jacob said maybe they're not the sexiest Power 5 team they're not a conference champion they're not a blue blood they're not this they're not that but at the end of the day they're Power 5 they're Pac-12 and they're going to be favored in that game and Utah State's going to get overlooked again and at some point, Utah State isn't going to be able to be overlooked, and at some point, they're not going to be the underdog, and that's going to be a, um, something that we deal with next year as you transition from being the underdog to the top dog and how you go from the hunter to the hunted, and I, I think Blake Anderson and his staff will be able to to navigate that throughout the summer and into next season, but until then... We go one and zero every week, and we have one more game, and so it's awesome that our season isn't quite over yet. We have a lot of other things that we're trying to focus on and pay attention to. Obviously, we have basketball in full swing, and we want to look at um, the future of some of these players and these coaches. And there's all this going on, but you know what? Football season isn't over yet. We have one more game. Let's go one and zero this week against Oregon State and uh, finish strong and put a, put ourselves in a really good position because. Uh, one thing that I believe very strongly, and Mark Mark brought it up, but it's something that I believe very strongly is that success breeds success, and that can mean a lot of things. I think success this year will breed success next year because you get to go out there and you get to recruit as a conference champion um, and as a team that you know we have a chance to get to ten wins. Um, recruiting as a ten-win team is very different than recruiting as a one-win team that we were doing last year. Success brings in money. It's 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 revenue. Success on the football field is going to help enable the university to have success in basketball and in women's basketball and in women's soccer. So success breeds success, and that's something I really strongly believe. And so this week going 1-0, it's bigger than this week, and it's bigger than just one game. The team can focus on going one and zero, and they they have to get that tunnel vision. But you know, I get to look at the big picture, and winning this game is part of a huge picture going into the summer, going into uh, recruiting season in football, and hopefully, you know, bringing in some money. So. I can't overstate the importance of this game, and, and I know this team will be focused and ready to go because they're not getting distracted by the conference championship because, like Mark said, that was last week. That's over. We can celebrate that later, but right now, this football season's not over, and, and Coach Tucker talking about that, I think, gives me a lot of confidence that this team's in the right headspace to, to go in and um, beat this Pac-12 team and hopefully get another Power 5 win on the season, which would be a huge success for this team we're already riding at almost unprecedented levels of success in this with this team and and hopefully it doesn't stop there so i want to just say one last thing as we wrap up and it's right along with that success breeds success attitude um, make sure you're supporting this football team and this basketball team make sure you're supporting the Utah State Aggies in any way you can um, and a big part of that's buying tickets. If you can go down to the LA Bowl and be there for this historic bowl game that we're playing in Get down there and be there if, if you can get to basketball games get there And lastly if you can donate to the program make sure you're donating to the program uh, Go over to UtahStateAggies.com and make sure you're buying tickets and doing things like that But see if there is a way that you can donate money to this program so that we can keep these good times going So that we can keep winning conference championships in basketball and in football And so that we can keep extending our levels of success in the sports that we haven't had success before. You look at the past year and we've had probably unprecedented levels of success in football, in volleyball, in soccer, and a promising future in basketball. That happens because people donate their money and support the Aggies. So make sure you're doing that if you can. Thank you so much for tuning in today and listening to the show. I've been Parker Ballantyne. Jacob Nielsen and Mark Greenwood are both on staff here at the States, and make sure you're supporting their work. Go over to our website. The link, obviously, is in the show notes, as it always is. Their Twitter handles and their social handles are in the show notes as well. Make sure you're hitting them up to stay up to date with Aggie Sports. Cameron McCurdy is no longer on staff here. He's He no longer runs his show with Aggie Radio, but he's still very in tune with Aggie Sports. And... Uh, local sports in Utah. So if that's something that interests you, make sure you grab him on Twitter as well. His link is in the show notes. And make sure you're coming back to the show every week. Share the show with with your friends because we really appreciate it. And there's so much good happening within the Utah State Athletic Department right now across all sports and with all our athletes. So you want to be here for it. So make sure you're coming back to the show and uh, listening to us every week. We'll be back Monday for our regular scheduled programming. And thanks again for listening. Go Aggies.